Isaiah chapter 9, and we'll stand for the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to preach a, a Christmas message to you, but I'm hoping to draw your attention to some things that, Lord willing, you may never have noticed before from a very common passage. We're going to start reading in verse number 2. And uh, you'll see when we get to the passage that everybody knows, a part of, this, part of this passage that everybody knows, it's very common, but the rest of this chapter, the context that this verse is in, is not very widely known at all. We'll pick it up in verse number 2, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The Bible says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Now watch this. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Now watch, for unto us a child is born. How many of you ever knew the context leading up to this verse? Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and the name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Lord sent a word unto Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel. Uh, Brother Kramer, would you ask God to bless the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to draw your attention, if I could, to the end of verse number 7. You'll notice the last phrase, the last sentence down there. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I want to preach to you this morning on the zeal of the Lord. Zeal is something that we need to understand. It's defined as a passionate ardor in the pursuit of anything. A zealot is one who engages warmly in any cause and pursues his object with earnestness and ardor. Uh, To be zealous is to be warmly engaged or ardent in the pursuit of any object. The Bible tells you at the end of verse number 7 that God has some zeal. He has something that he's pursuing, something that he's earnest about, something that he's fired up about, something that he is dogmatic about, something that he is going to get done no matter what. And what he's going to get done is look at it in verse number 7 at the beginning of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. In other words, God is going to put Jesus Christ on the throne of David. That is a literal, visible throne. It is in Israel. It is over the Jewish nation. And he said of his government, of his peace, there will be no end. 
God is going to put that baby in a manger on a throne in Israel and he's going to establish that government and he's going to make sure that judgment is done and justice is done. And boy, I'm looking forward to that day. I get tired of watching this life. I get sick of it. I get sick of seeing injustice, don't you? Nothing rips my guts out more than when I see something unjust. Something unfair. Where somebody does something wrong and they don't get what they deserve for doing something wrong. It's not just like, oh, they messed up in life, they made some mistakes, they fell into sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when I see somebody who's a, a, a more of an alpha, more of a predator, a dangerous individual, a selfish individual, prey on the weaker and get away with it. You understand what I'm talking about? I get tired of seeing that. I get sick and tired of, of lions trying to tear up lambs for the fulfillment of their own lust and their own hunger and their own appetite. I don't know who you are. Somebody spotted you. And these men that I've got working with me are no Joabs and they're no Doeg the Edomites. They won't rat you out because they said, Pastor, if they wanted you to know who they were, they would have put their name on it. But somebody snuck a Christmas present in my office, whosoever you, whosoever you are. I even tried to pull the Saul thing. Does nobody here feel sorry for me? Why won't you tell me? They're like, oh yeah, we're betraying you because we won't tell you who gave you a present. The present is a beautiful picture of a lion. You obviously, whoever you are, listen to my preaching, and I love lions. But the lion that I think about when I see lions is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's got power, the king of the beasts, and right down tucked in his mane with a, a color change of a cross across the whole picture is a face of a little lamb with that lion's mane kind of hanging over that lamb. I feel like the lamb. And I feel like what I know of Jesus Christ, what I know of the baby in a manger, I feel like he's the lion. I like that. I like to see power and authority used to take care of somebody and something that really can't, really, honestly, that can't benefit me in any way, shape, or form. To me, that's leadership. To me, that's like, that's being a father. To me, that's being a husband. To me, that's being a pastor. To me, that's the Lord Jesus Christ and what He is. And what I see in this world is another lion roaming about that's seeking whom He may devour. What I see is a, a very fierce lion, a very sickly lion with tremendous amounts of rage and anger and frustration and power and bitterness and, and self-righteousness and a, a feeling of being robbed of what he deserves and, and what his goal is. He, is. he is currently, just so you know, the God of this world according to the Bible. He is currently Lucifer and Satan and the dragon and all the things that the Bible tells us he is. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and he doesn't care about righteousness. He doesn't care about holy living. He doesn't care about where you spend eternity. He doesn't care about your marriage. He doesn't care about your children. He doesn't care about your family. He doesn't care about your purity. He doesn't care about you doing right and getting, getting the blessings of doing right. He just wants to seek to kill and to destroy and to wreck everything because he knows where he's going and he wants to take as many of you with him as he can. And he pretties it up in these beautiful little phrases. And these pathetic little philosophical thought processes. In these pretend love of humanity. And you know we're all trying to get to the same place. And inherently us humans we're all really good. And he packages the message in such a way that naturally people instinctively receive that message. And think they're talking to a beautiful kitty cat that just wants to cuddle with them. But what they don't realize is they're being spoken to by a lion that wants to devour them. But the one who's all about justice and righteousness and truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you have in verses 6 and 7 is you've got some words and some phrases and some names for the Lord Jesus Christ that the whole world knows about. The whole world knows this verse. You'll see it put up in the stores. Or we used to a few years ago. But what people don't realize is that before this passage and after this passage, it's talking about judgment. 
You see, when we read through there, did you, did you see the, the fuel of fire? What was that, about verse 5 or so? 6, uh, 4, 5, something like that? You know, there's a war that's going to be taking place before he comes back that is, has a fuel of fire. It's almost as though Isaiah, all those many thousands of years ago, had some kind of divine inspiration to understand that wars in the day and age that you and I live in, in the time when Christ comes back, are going to be fueled. The fire is going to be fueled. Hello? You know what's in those rockets and bombs and the ships and the vehicles that launch all that stuff? Fuel. Isn't that interesting? It's almost as though maybe God Almighty wrote this book and knew what he was doing. Maybe God knew some things and tucked some things in here so that your faith in Him and in His words could be strengthened so that while you were in the confusion, verse number 5, of the battle, when you were in the struggle of trying to be a Christian in these last days and, and trying to live your life, that you understood that there's a God in heaven who loved you enough to give you His words so you could turn to it. And you could get the help that you needed to understand Him. Now, what I'm preaching to you on is the zeal of the Lord. I believe we have a zealous God, a God who is ardent about some things in pursuit of some things. And nowadays, you've got a culture of people that is Christian songs that talk about God pursuing you and all the rest of this stuff, which is just kind of goofy. It's kind of a, a humanistic romance where we're like, he chased me and chased me until, because he loved me so much, like, do you realize the Lord's already done everything He needs to do for you? And this morning, you ought to be seeking Him if you're a wise man, because wise men still seek Him. Forgive the cliche of the time period we're in. But it actually is a pretty good statement. What bothers me, and, 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 I'm, and I'm getting better about it as time goes on, but what bothers me, not, not lost people, not people that don't know the Lord as their Savior, that doesn't bother me. Lost people are lost people. Do you understand that? They say and do things that I can't laugh at, can't follow up with, can't get involved in. I try to be gracious and pretend I don't hear it or just walk away. Lost people are lost people. You do understand that. What bothers me is saved people that love the baby in a manger, love Christmas time because of the presents, love the decorations, love family time, but don't want to acknowledge that that baby is coming back. And the point of that baby being born was not just a cute little baby being born so we can all get presents at his birthday. Hello. <laughs> we had all these birthdays today. How about, how about we do what we do for Jesus and instead of the person that has the birthday getting the present and the attention, why don't we just make sure everybody else gets a present? Do you ever stop and think about that? Why are we giving each other presents at Jesus' birthday? I'm not... I, you should see our living room right now, okay? <laughs> I, I'm not against it. I'm just... We're, we're talking about the Lord right now and some truth, and I want our minds to try to be Lord willing, put in the right place before you celebrate whatever you celebrate tomorrow. Amen. It's a wild thought. And it aggravates me that Christians are all about Christmas and preachers, like, I mean, you have month-long and two-month-long programs and series every time of the year this year because people just love Christmas. You know why? There's nothing threatening about a baby in a manger. Why don't we do a month-long or a two-month-long thing in the springtime leading up to when we think more than likely the rapture is going to happen on the second coming? and preach on judgment, and righteousness, and God being the judge, and serving God, and getting right with God, and the tribulation to come. People wouldn't show up for that. Are you kidding me? The kids are going to do a play now on the tribulation. You know, fire's coming down from heaven, and they're starving, and they're wild beasts coming out, eating them. <laughs> I have no idea what's getting into me this morning. I figure I got one shot at it, so you're here for three hours and I'm going to preach because you're done for the rest of the day. <laughs> Be quiet, Jesse. I don't need the encouragement. It aggravates me that we're all about the baby, but we don't want to stop and think about the fact that our king is coming back. You know, that baby was born, and thank God he was. 
you realize what a wonderful thing that was? Yeah. I'm going to say this before I show you those five points that I got about his name and how it can help you hopefully this year. But that baby had to be born of a virgin. Now, I admit that that is a miracle. I admit that it takes faith to believe that. But let me say this. Last year and a half, two years, my wife and I have been in, in, in over our heads. Doctors and doctor's appointments, and, and I mean like some, some of the best doctors there is at the U of M and all that. And the way my wife is wired, it's not just enough to ask the doctor questions and learn. She just goes and does all kinds of research and peer-reviewed research and researching the research and making sure you know the background of the research and where the research came from and all the, the pool study. And it's like it's too much, right? And trying to keep up with her has worn me out. I'll tell you what I've figured out. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your body, it exists, right? I think therefore I am. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> Your body is a miracle. But you believe it. A baby being conceived, every one of you was there at one point, <laughs> in a woman's womb, is a miracle. The genetic structure, the DNA structure, the amount of variables that could have taken place, it's literally mind-blowing. You guys, we all are living a miracle. Now, my faith in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, 50% of that miracle I'm not used to. I'm used to the miracle of a child in a woman's womb developing and being born. I understand that as a reality, although it's a miraculous reality. But if you got your faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have your faith in a miracle and the scientists and the atheists and the agnostics will mock you and laugh at you. But the fact of the matter is, is that that's only 50% faith than to say that we just evolved from nothing. That is 100% faith. Ain't that a good thought? And the one that created you knows everything there is to know about you. That boy, that baby, had to be born of a virgin because the sin is attributed through the man. You understand that? Who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Eve sinned first. And then the Bible tells you what? For as in Eve all die? So as in Adam all die. You got your sin from your daddy. And you got it naturally. That doesn't mean you women are sinlessly perfect because you had a daddy too. There was only one whose father was perfect. And his name was the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad that that baby was born. By the way, he wasn't born on December 25th. <gasps> but I won't go there. I just, I, you guys see all the Christmas decorations? This is as best as I can do. I can't put up a Christmas tree. Sorry, I just can't. So I, in my house, I have one. Now don't, you know, if you're, <gasps> a pagan idol, they bow down to get the presents. Well, pray for me, okay? Because it's my house and none of your stinking business. Amen. Not being mean, I'm just saying. Don't you want me to respect you the same way? Okay, it's my house, it's none of your business. Just like it's your house, it's none of my business. But I can't, do, I can't put one in church because I know all the pagan origins. I do. I read all the books. I understand all that stuff. But I'm still thankful that there is one time a year in this country where they used to stop and recognize the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You know what you've gotten to now? You've gotten to post-Christian America where no longer is it even Merry Christmas, it's Happy Holidays. It was Xmas. I remember that a few years ago. You little devil. You Antichrist spirit. 
The sad thing is, folks, is that the saved people, the saved people anymore, can't stop and say, you know what, you guys? Thank God for the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. See, what Adam did is he was created by God as a son of God, a direct creation of God. And since God created him directly with his own hands, just like he did all the angels, including Lucifer, he was a son of God because he was a direct creation. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. God had a son before. The sons of God in the Bible are anything directly created by God. Adam was a son of God. Lucifer come in that garden and tempted him and got him to fall. You know what it was about? It was about a kingdom. You know what Lucifer rebelled over? A kingdom. He wanted to exalt his throne. God said, no way, and put him down. God made Adam the second king over this earth. You know what Lucifer did? He went and tempted Adam to get him to fall into sin to get his kingdom back. You know who's the king right now of this earth? The God of this world, according to the book of 1 Corinthians? It's Satan. That's why bad things happen to good people. It ain't God. It ain't, why would God allow this? It's sin in the earth. You got to understand that. A trick of Lucifer is to get you bitter against God because of the effects of sin. God's the one that sent his son to right the wrongs of sin, to fix our sin problem. He's not the one that perpetrated that upon us. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Well, Lucifer got one over on Adam. So in the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come. Be born of a virgin. That was a direct creation of God, so he was the son of God. At the exact same time, the Bible calls him the son of man, depending on which gospel you read. Some gospels show him as the son of God. Other gospels show him as the son of man. God's given you four different perspectives in the four gospels of Jesus Christ so you can put together the big picture of what happened. What happened is, you're a sinner. And you know what, every one of you in here, you're all procreation. We're all sons of God. Would you please open the Bible and show me where God said every human being is a son of God? Jesus said, you have your father the devil, the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. He is a liar and the father of it. That was that sweet little baby Jesus (laughs) that the preachers won't tell you about. We're all sons of God. Uh, According to John chapter 1, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, procreation, but of God. You became a son of God when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you were born again. You became His son at that moment because only God can forgive sin and only God can give eternal life and only God can put eternal life in you and He did that the day you got saved. So if you're not saved this morning, the most important thing you can do is trust Jesus Christ as your Savior now before it's too late. The greatest present you could give Jesus on His birthday the time we celebrate it would be what he came to die for, which is you. That's, right. That's what he wants. He wants you. He doesn't need anything you got. If he was hungry, he wouldn't tell you. Amen. He wants you. Best thing you could give him is your heart. If you are saved, best thing you could give the Lord is some recognition, some praise, some honor, some glory, your life. Two separate things. A lot of saved people have eternal life in them, but they don't give the life they're living to serve God with it. They're not zealous for the Lord. They're not zealous for the fact that he's coming back to set up his kingdom. And in the meanwhile, while he's gone and why he's waiting. Why is he waiting? Why is God long-suffering? Because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's given people an opportunity to trust His Son as their Savior. He wants as much payback, as much return on investment as He can get when He gave the most precious thing He had, which was Jesus Christ. Man, the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in every point like as we are yet without sin. Where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. 
goes to that cross and dies. You know why he died? Because the payment, the wages of sin is death. Your sin killed him. Because he was perfect. He's buried. The Bible says that's part of the gospel. For three days and three nights, he went down into the heart of the earth and put your sin there. And then he rose again the third day, and he ever liveth to make intercession for you. He's the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one you got to go to if you want to get to heaven when you die without Jesus Christ, without that baby that was born to die, without that baby. You ain't getting in. The Father ain't letting you in unless you do what you're supposed to do with His Son. Here's why you should do what you're supposed to do with Him. Because He's wonderful. See verse 6. His name shall be called Wonderful. I don't think people realize today how wonderful Jesus Christ is. We know the world doesn't get it. But to be honest with you, I feel like most Christians, this is, what, this is my opinion. This is what I do with my life. I'm obsessed with it. I feel like most Christians are so spiritually hungry for the Word of God that they're, they're, they're spiritually starving. Do you realize when you're actually starving, you're not hungry anymore? Like really starving. I'm, we say, I'm starving, and you're, you're not starving. You're what we would call hungry. You know, when you're actually starving to death, you lose your hunger. Starving people can have food within arm's reach and save it for later when they actually need it because they're not hungry. That is literally what is happening to God's people all over this planet right now. Because the preachers stopped giving people the word of God without compromise, without fear of their response, and just trying to feed people that want the truth, they stopped doing it. And as a result, people stopped realizing how great their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is and lost a zeal to really give their life to Him. He is wonderful. Now watch this. I'll show you how we lose people in the process. Keep your finger here in Isaiah, if you would. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm going to show you the law of first mention, right? We've talked about this before. There's, there's a law of first mention, the law of further mention, and a law of final mention. What you've got in Deuteronomy chapter number 28 is the law of first mention. This is the first time in your Bible the word wonderful shows up. Deuteronomy 28, 58. Now watch the context. This, folks, this Bible is amazing. We're going we're gonna to see a good word, the word wonderful. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. That's the name you're supposed to fear. So he says, if you're not going to observe the words of the book, the Bible, and if you're not going to fear the glorious name, the Lord thy God, what did Thomas call Jesus Christ in the book of John chapter 20? My Lord and my God, right? That's what Thomas called him when he saw him after he rose from the dead. If you're not going to fear him and if you're not going to listen to the Bible, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful. And the plagues of thy seed your kids, even great plagues and of long continuance and sore sickness and of long continuance. <laughs> the first mention of the word wonderful is that's what you get. Has anybody looked around lately? We have thrown the Bible out, haven't we? I'm not, I'm not being hard on you. I'm not coming after you this morning. I, I got a lot of zeal for what I do. I believe we got the truth. I think what we're doing here can literally change your life. I think it can change the trajectory of your entire life. And I know it will impact eternity. I think it will change your family and your children. I believe in what we're doing this morning. I'm not getting on you. But look around at this world today. Yeah. Nobody cares about the Bible anymore. And we see the fallout, don't we? 
Oh, yeah, the plagues are hitting our kids. Boy, our kids are a mess. One of the things I want to talk to you about next week. Folks, listen to me. I don't believe you should serve God for your children. Literally. We need to stay married for the kids. No, you do need to stay married. But I really eye roll that for the kids stuff. You stay married because it's right. And because you're supposed to love each other. And because that's God's will for your life. I think you should be in church because God wants you to be in church because you love Jesus Christ and he's wonderful and you want to walk with him. But I am telling you, man, one of those things that ought to help get you through in the moments when you want to quit ought to be your kids. Can I get on you men for a minute? You need a man up. You need to take some cotton-picking responsibility for the leadership of your home. Your kids are watching you and they need you. What difference does it make if you push them to get a great education or be some kind of a great sport player? If they make all kinds of money, what difference does it make? Gentlemen, there is nothing more important than your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There is nothing more important than you figuring out what it means to lead your family. And you can't do that till you learn to follow. And you ought to fall in love with Jesus Christ and follow him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then watch how much better off your family is in years to come. But it's got to start with you. And it can't be I got to do this for my family because everybody can spot a fraud. It ought to be because you love him because he's wonderful. Now the first mention of that wonderful is to put some fear in your guts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see why preachers won't preach the Bible? They won't teach you that kind of thing. They won't say, listen, he's wonderful. They're going to go, he's just wonderful. He loves. He loves all men. It's all love. Well, let's just look at what the Bible says about wonderful. That's a pretty scary thing, man. Wonder is amazement. It's a shock. It's jaw-dropping. Listen, you can make it through this life, Laodicean, and just limp-wristed, cisified, spiritually speaking. I'm not trying to be a tough guy. I'm not. I'm I'm over that. I'm I'm just, I'm past that in my life. But listen to me. You might be able to take me out front and beat me in a fair fight, man to man, and I beat me ruthlessly to an embarrassing point. I don't think you can, but you might be able to. (laughs) And I'd be willing to find out. But you are not a real man. If you can't stand up for what's right, if you can't walk with Jesus Christ, if you can't discipline yourself and live a holy life and live a pure life and sell out your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength to the one who died on the cross to take away your sins. Notice the wonderful plagues come on people that ignore the book. That's why, that's why we preach the Bible. And I'm telling you this morning, I'm more committed than ever before to studying my Bible and giving you as good of meals as I can give you every time you come because I love Jesus Christ and the more I love him, the more I love you. And that's the only way to take care of you is show you this book. There's your law first mention. Go to Isaiah, back to the book of Isaiah, please. Go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Look at verse 4. So he says he's going to send plagues and affliction. And back in, in, Psalm, in, in, in Isaiah 9, we saw that he is sending all these afflictions because of their sin and all this judgment coming on Israel because they rejected God and they turned away from Him. That's the context of his solution, which is a wonderful Savior. Look at Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. 
Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So opened he not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. See it? Was he stricken? And he made his grave with the wicked. He went to hell. And with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Are you kidding me? Look at the reason he went. Because he did nothing wrong. Good for you. Good for you. We're going to be fair. We're going to give you a fair life. Since you're such a good boy and you did everything right, you get to take everybody's damnation, everybody's judgment, everybody's affliction, everybody's plague on you. Just remember that when life isn't fair to you. That's what a wonderful Savior did. Because he loved you. God, forgive me for every time I've ever complained about anything. Look at the next verse, verse 10. Yet it pleased God to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He sees what's going to come of it. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. He sweat as it were great drops of blood. He hung on the cross and cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sun he created shut off. The earth he spoke into existence shook. God saw the travail that was going on in his son, the travail of his soul, and he was satisfied with that judgment. By his knowledge, Shall my righteous servant, Jesus Christ, justify many? For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. God's zealous about it, because he had poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors and bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The plagues that he sent because of judgment on sin. The wonderful plagues, the mind-blowing plagues. The I cannot believe, I never imagined it could be that bad. Folks, you and I cannot imagine the horrors of hell. And yet Jesus Christ, in love for us, was so wonderful that he fulfilled the law for every person in this room because every last one of you has broke the law. Don't bother looking around at somebody else to make sure they're getting the point of whether or not they realize they're a sinner. You're a sinner. But Jesus Christ never broke the law. And then what he did is he wonderfully took our plagues. And we saw Psalm 107 just a couple of weeks ago and it was like, oh, the men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works unto the children of men. It was repeated, what, five times in the passage? Do you know between each of those five sections what it was? Our failure, our sin, our judgment, our damnation, our mess up, our mess up again, our failure again, our mess up again. And stuck in there is all oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works under the children of men. His name is wonderful because a perfect, holy, righteous Savior figured out how to save you from the judgment you had coming your way that you deserved when he didn't deserve it. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. Man, what a Savior. He's wonderful. You know what else I like about the Lord back in this chapter 9? And don't, don't worry because these points speed up as we go through, but I need a minute on this second one. Another thing about his name, Isaiah 9, 6, he's not just wonderful. 
His works are beyond what I can wrap my mind around. Cleansing me of my sin and saving me and imputing righteousness to me through Jesus Christ. But you know what I love about the Lord? He's a counselor. That's a great name, ain't it? You realize how important counsel is in your life? You know, the older, I, so far in my experience, the older I get, the more I want counsel. I would really like to figure this out now because in life, hear me, you don't get a do-over. When the sun sets today and you go to bed tonight, you can never live December 24th, 2023 again. And you can't go back and undo whatever decisions you make today. You don't get a do-over in life. Now, as life goes on, you get more influence. You get married, you have kids, whatever. You make friends, you get older. Your influence affects other people. Uh, I want some counsel. I would like to sit down with somebody who knows a little more than I know and can say, hey, here's a couple things you might want to consider. Never really thought about that. Well, you wouldn't. You haven't been there yet. Okay. Counsel's a great thing. You know what I love about Jesus Christ? He's a counselor. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. You know what it means that upbraideth not, give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. That means that when he gives you wisdom and then you mess up, he doesn't say, well, I told you. You just go back to him and ask him to forgive you and try to get some more wisdom. Okay, I can't go back and redo yesterday because there's no do-overs, but now that the mess is made, can you give me wisdom to bring the best outcome out of this that I can bring? You got a counselor in the Lord. Man, it's pretty wild when you start looking through your Bible and finding out where the counsel comes from. You know what he is? He's a wise counselor. Now, I have, I have a whole host of references here that I was going to start you in and run you through them, but, but I'm not going to right now for the sake of time. What I want to say is this. I'll just tell you what all these verses show. All these verses show that wise men, wise women, wise children will listen to wise counsel. And that wise counsel comes from God and his words. Wisdom cries out in the streets. Calls to every one of you saying, please listen to me. And if you got any sense about you, if you got any sense about you, you'll stop to listen to what God has to say to you. You know why people don't listen to God? They're afraid of what he's going to say. They're afraid God's going to ask something of them they don't want to give. Listen to me. The Lord's will for your life is not something to be afraid of. If you don't want God's will, I would hazard a guess that it is because you love your sin. And your sin will break your heart disappoint you, leave you high and dry, dump you so fast and leave you sitting there and laugh at your calamity and walk away. And you'll say, oh yeah, but I love you, but I love you, but I've given my life for you. And your sin says, shut up and just rot. When God gives you counsel, he never gives you counsel to manipulate you or to better himself, he's given you counsel that will help you, that'll bring you joy, that'll bless you, that a hundred years from now will make all the difference in the world. You guys, you guys remember uh, uh, Rehoboam? The guy was 41 years old when he got the throne, his father's throne, took over from Solomon. What a setup, man. 
to have Solomon as a dad and David as a grandpa. You couldn't have got a better setup. You know what that idiot did? I'm sorry, he's an idiot. Preacher shouldn't say idiot. Well, go home and watch your TV and listen to him take God's name in vain and don't get offended at that. Get offended at me saying idiot. Cracks me up, people stick their fingers in their kids' ears. The preacher said idiot in the pulpit, and then you put them on down in front of a TV. See, I'm trying to be nice because it's Christmas Eve, but I feel a preaching fit coming on. <laughs> Listen to me. That idiot asked the young men, what do you guys think I should do? And the young men said, tell them people if they don't come under, you're going to beat them. You're the king, you're the man, you got the authority, you're the don, let them know you're the man. Tell them my finger will be thicker than my father's loins. We're going to have success around here. We're going to build an empire. We're going to have a powerful nation and a powerful military. Come on, fellas, you're going to come under or I'll kill you. He goes to the old men, the guys that are out of touch, the guys that aren't on Instagram and Facebook and don't understand this day and age that we're living in, you know. They don't realize that it's 2024. This isn't the 90s anymore. Literally, I hear more and more people talking about the 90s like back in the good old days. Like, seriously? <laughs> Look who's talking. You, you have the authority. You, you could have been my mom back then. Listen. They went to the old men. The old men said... Why don't you back off on them? Why don't you love them? Why don't you be kind to them? Because the old men knew that if you backed off on them, loved them, and was kind to them, and just tried to help them out, provide for them, that those fellows had laid down their life for a man that they knew loved them and cared about them. They'd go to battle. They'd kill everybody that came up against them. And that idiot said, no, I'm going to do what my peers say. And as a result, he lost the kingdom because of counsel. Now listen, look at the passage. Look at verse 15, first Isaiah 9, 15. The ancient and honorable, he is the head. The prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. At your politicians, your religious leaders, your main speakers, and the people of this nation are flooding into churches where the preachers won't give them the truth. You know what you've got right here? Here's how you know the preacher's giving you the truth. Does he preach that Bible the way it is without softening it and compromising it and twisting it? And uh, This is real relevant. It's just relevant because God Almighty wrote it. I don't care what the generation's doing. God wrote it. Of course it's relevant to your life now. There's some counsel here God's trying to give you. Not counselors like Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, who was after him for the money, and taught the people to fornicate and commit adultery and uh, and idolatry. Well, they love that message. Oh, you mean it's just love? Oh, you mean, well, there's nothing in the Bible about a ceremony? Oh, they love that message. They ate that message up, boy. And the plagues came. The wonderful power of God and judgment fell. Instead of a counselor who'd get in the Bible and say, this is what the book says. You know what Jesus Christ is? He's a wonderful counselor who will help you through life. I hate to say this. Christmas is a very hard time for a lot of people. Not everybody is merry at Christmas. The farther we go away from God and the more this nation falls apart and people ignore the word of God and won't build their life based on the word of God, the more unmarried Christmas is getting. You know what you need? A wise counselor. Another thing about his name, these just need mentioned. We don't have to turn to any passages. Look at it, the mighty God. You know who Jesus Christ is? Right there. He's God. He's God. That's who Jesus Christ is. 
That's 1 Timothy 3.16, the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. You say, how could he do that? Well, he's God, that's how. If I could give you all the answers and all the science behind it and add it all up for you, I'd be God. Scientists can't even figure out your neurological system. Talk to the brightest minds literally on the planet and you just try to be smart and don't go in there acting like you know all this stuff about neurology because you're a Google king, you know, and you know, don't, you know, but just be smart and, and try to ask the right questions and listen to them talk and ask them questions. Do you know in about three seconds you can ask a question where the response is, well, we really don't know yet. Right. We can't really figure it out. There is one who knows. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about your genetic structure, your DNA. He knows everything about your health. He knows everything about every single thing going on in you. He's created the whole thing. He's the mighty God, and he manifested himself in the flesh. Jesus said, I came out from him. God literally, literally protruded himself. He projected himself into this planet. Oh, I just don't know how that's possible. Whatever, man. You all live stream all the time. You, we as human beings have figured out how to project ourselves into people's living rooms across the country and across the world. And you think God couldn't be manifest in the flesh? You got a tiny little mind. You just got a tiny little mind. I mean, I just, I can't, you're so brilliant, so educated, so intelligent to mock God, and your mind's about that deep. I doubt your intellect. That was harsh, wasn't it? Yeah, it was harsh because I'm trying to get your attention and I want to reach your soul. I doubt your intellect if you think God couldn't manifest himself in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God. While he was on this planet walking around beating sin that you couldn't beat every day, every second of his life, he was sitting on the throne in heaven as the everlasting father. It's one of his names. Man, it's good to have a good father. Now I'm telling you, that's one of the hugest cancers in our society. There's a lack of good fatherhood. So if you had a good father, ain't it great to have a good father? Hey, nothing, listen to me. I want you gentlemen to understand something. As a father, there is something instinctively put there by Almighty God that you will have in the hearts of your sons and your daughters, but specifically more, more, more intensely in males. Between you and them, that they'll never be able to get away from. Many men, I hate my dad. Why is there all that bitterness there, man? If your dad's that terrible and you really were so hurt by him, why are you so bitter? Why are you in prison? Why are you train wrecking your life? Why at the mention of him do you get all that? You know what it is? It's something God put there between a father and the son. It's a natural thing. You know what the Bible says? When my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. If you had a good dad, you should get on your knees and thank God for a good dad. And if you currently have a good relationship with your dad, cherish that thing. Thank God for it. But listen to me. If you had a bad dad, welcome to the majority. Because men have walked away from the Bible and not taken Jesus Christ seriously. And as a result, men are selfish. And they're like those fallen lions where he comes up to the pride after the women do all the work and he starts tearing everybody's face off and then he eats until he's done and then goes over there, lays down and belches and falls asleep and they get the leftovers. That's a male without Jesus Christ. You know what's a blessing about that if you got a dad that hurt you? You know what's a blessing about it? Hear me. Men and women, hear me. The blessing is you have a special opportunity to learn about your heavenly father 
like guys who are super close to their dads will never figure out. You hear me? If you're lacking a human father, your heavenly father will take you up, boy. He'll take you up. Jesus Christ is the everlasting father. Last thing and we're done. He is the prince of peace. You know what he said? My peace I leave with. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. You know what he meant? When I give it to you, I don't take it back. I'm leaving peace with you. I'm going, and I'll be gone. You guys... Sometimes I've told the Lord, it would be so cool if you would just show up, like visually, if I could just see you. If you do something, I've told him, I've told him this. If you do something miraculously for me, I won't tell anybody you did it. (laughs) Now you're thinking, has he done it? I ain't telling. (laughs) Because we're, you know, the charismatic threat. And I know my Bible too well and I realize devils can imitate miraculous things. So I can't put my faith in that. I put my faith in this. Wouldn't it be great if he'd show up? You know what he said? It's convenient for you if I go away. If I go not away, the, co- uh, the, 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 the comforter will not come. It's expedient for you. Excuse me, not convenient. Expedient for you that I go away. You know what God wants you to have this morning? He wants you to have peace. Do you know what Christmas time is usually filled with? Drama. It gets hard, folks. Especially as you grow up and you got in-laws and a wife and more grandparents and everybody else has in-laws and wife and kids and we're trying to organize the schedule and we, well you never come to our house on Christmas and you're always there and you always put her out of them and Christmas Eve and yeah. and then you save people go in there with your Bibles to go have Christmas with a bunch of lost people and they're like Santa and like some people like well I don't believe in teaching our kids about Sam and other people well we do and and drama starts coming and you start stomping your foot acting like Pastor Reagan in the pulpit at 52909 Ten Mile Road with a bunch of people that want to hear preaching. And then you wonder why your family never gets saved. I'm not trying to encourage you to compromise or pull back. You know me. I'm thinking that if we really got the presence of God, we ought to be a little more peaceful than we are. I didn't say compromise in what we believe, did I? I said Peaceful. I said, let them take their shots and make their comments and just pretend you don't hear it and just walk away and say, hey, Prince of Peace, it's about you right now. Would you please just give me some peace? I mean, for some of you where Christmas ain't such a great time, a year, you've lost people. You know, you've lost people you love. Family drama comes up. I'm asking you to give him a present this year, which is, hey, Lord, I know someday soon you're coming back and you're going to set up that kingdom and you're going to right all these wrongs that surround me in this world. And you're zealous for that. So this year my present to you is I want to be zealous for you. And you're the Prince of Peace. I need some peace. You're wonderful. I need your counsel. You're God, so my life is what it is and I can't change it and you've allowed it and you're just God. And I need a good father. And I want your peace in my heart and life. What I want you to do, this is what I want for us for Christmas. I want you to catch a little bit of his zeal. The zeal of the Lord. His son is so wonderful. He is fired up about bringing him back and putting him on that throne. And he wants you and I to be fired up about serving him. 
Because he said when he comes, if you're faithful, he's going to let you rule and reign with him. And his kingdom is something he's excited about. We should get excited about it. Now, we're going to stand second. The pianist is going to come. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond if you want to. But if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you don't know 100% for sure that if you drop dead right now, you'd go to heaven. I promise you, please hear me, just a couple more seconds. I promise you, the best decision you could ever make in your life is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you go to hell, it's your fault. Please be willing to say, I need to know what God has to say about salvation. I don't want to go to hell. And I can show you from a Bible, not from religion, from the Bible what it means to be saved. And you can walk out of here today feeling like a massive ton of weight has been taken off your back because you'll know the wonderful, powerful judgments of God that are coming were already put on Jesus Christ and you escaped it. You need to get saved before you leave. If you understand the gospel, you don't even have to come to me. Right where you are, you can sit there and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, forgive your sins and save your soul, and he'll do it right now. The greatest gift you could give Jesus on his birthday is what he died for. It's your soul. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.